We're in that time of the year where we get the reports in the morning to be careful in driving because of foggy conditions. And we know that when we're driving in the fog, there are certain things we have to be aware of, certain other driving techniques or tips that we have to follow. Do you know what some of those are? Well, the most important one, of course, is keep your focus on that road. Don't get distracted by other things. Since you can't see too far down the road, you don't know what's coming up or which way the road might turn, so pay attention. Well, it's not only driving that sometimes we feel we're in the fog. Maybe we feel that way just about life. (laughs) That we're unsure about maybe what's coming up, a little uncertain about things going on around us, and we feel like maybe we're living in the fog. Well, like when we're driving, we use certain tips and rely on our knowledge and skills. So it is in living, too. If we're in a fog, we'll also maybe rely on our knowledge of things and and the skills that we've acquired. But there's something else that's even more important, and that is to trust in God. When the prophet Habakkuk was ministering to his people during the Old Testament, they maybe kind of felt there was a fog that was around them. You know, what's going on in my life? And, and Habakkuk simply spoke this word from the Lord to them. Look around at the nations. Look and be amazed. For I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. So today, let's take a look at what Jesus does with our life as we continue with our themes our messages knowing jesus better today let's look at how he is working in our life the gospel reading we had before was jesus starting out his ministry and he was reading from the book of isaiah i'd like to go and take a look at those verses then from the book of isaiah the spirit of the lord Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of of his splendor. Sometimes it might feel that we're living in a fog, unsure what's going on, what's, what's lying ahead of us. In one of our classrooms at our high school, we have this statement up on a plaque. What if you woke up today with only the things you thanked God for yesterday? In other words, sometimes we are concerned about what the day will bring and we feel like we're living in a fog. 
But he's simply saying, look back and see what God gave you yesterday and you were thankful for, and you have that same God today. But sometimes that fog gets kind of thick and, and we get a little worried and have some doubts. Then we just need to listen to who's doing the talking. You know, when, when somebody gets up and they're important and they have something to say, everybody kind of tunes in because of who they are. And that's what we need to do here too. Let's look at, at who's talking in these verses and realize what he's going to do. Now, Isaiah wrote these words, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. But Isaiah isn't talking about himself. He was talking about the servant of the Lord. He was talking about the promised Savior, Jesus. And we know that because when Jesus got up in that church in Nazareth, he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he was saying, I'm the one that's being spoken about in that passage. He was telling us that he was the one who was anointed, that is appointed by the Father to be the Savior of the world. Perhaps uh, Isaiah's people were also feel, felt that they were living in a fog because things were not going so well in their country. There was a lot of threats going on from a neighboring nation, the Assyrians. And it was clear from God's prophecies that they were going to be overtaken by the Assyrians. And the reason was because they had turned their back on God. They had walked away from God. And so God was going to show them what happens when you do that. This wasn't just a, a prediction that may or may not come true. It was a real thing. It was really going to happen. But God also loved his people. And that captivity that they were going to be taken off to was simply a, a picture of the captivity that we're all in, that we're all held hostage to, and that is sin and death. So God's prophecy was there will be a Messiah, one who is anointed to come and to be the Savior, and that person is Jesus. Jesus, from this prophecy, tells us how he could be that and how he could do that because he told us the Spirit of the Lord was on him. That is, he would be empowered by the Spirit to be the Savior. Now we might wonder, why would Jesus have to be empowered by the Spirit? He's God. But he was also human being. And so the Spirit would, would empower him also as a human being. Now in what way would the Spirit empower him? Well, Isaiah told us about that earlier in his book. He said, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of might the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. That spirit worked through Jesus so that Jesus had understanding of us, understanding of our human condition. And Jesus could counsel and guide us with his wisdom. 
Jesus had the spirit of might so that he could heal people, so that he could provide for people, so he could free them from dangers, from threats that were there. All of that is the spirit working through Jesus, empowering him as our savior. So yeah, look who's talking. It's God's son, our savior. Now, what really impresses me about that verse is that in that we see how all three persons of the Godhead are working together, are in agreement and working closely for us, for our salvation. You have the Spirit of God on Jesus, you have Jesus doing this, and you have the Father appointing him to be the Savior of the world. Wow, what, a, what assurance, what comfort that gives us of God's love, his desire, and his plan to bless us and to save us. Look who's talking. You know, there's a lot of voices that we hear around us day in and day out. There's things we hear from our society. Here's what you should believe. Here's what you should do. Here's what you should want. Here's how you can live. And then we have our own self, our own sinful self, that gives us messages too. You want to do this? Go ahead. You want that? You can have it. You want to think this way? Go ahead. It's okay. You can be who you want to be. And then we have our God speaking to us. Who do you listen to? When you have a God who loves you, who is all-wise and all-powerful, doesn't it make sense to listen to him? This past week in the news, we heard how the people of Hawaii were given a warning that they were under a nuclear missile attack from North Korea. And it was false warning, but the people didn't know that at first. And so for 38 minutes, they were living in panic. One of our, our members happened to be over there during that time. He said there were parents who were taking their children and putting them into uh, the, the sewers so that they would be safe from the nuclear radiation. People, he said, were saying their goodbyes to other people because they thought it was over. And then, as we know, it was a false warning. They made a mistake. Now I wonder what those people would do if there were another warning issued. Would they say, nah, it's probably a mistake again? Or would they be serious about it? What do you do when you hear God's word? Do you trust what it says? Or do you think, no, that probably isn't real. Look who's talking. Your God, who is truth. Listen to what he says, and then combine it with faith. Trust what he says. Who better to listen to than our God? And who better to trust than our God? Jesus was sent to tell us what he would do. He was anointed to proclaim the good news. He was anointed to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, release from darkness for the prisoners, 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Now he tells us what he's going to do. Three things. First is, he says, I am going to release you. Release you from debt. He said, I'm here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In, in the Old Testament, that was called the year of Jubilee. You see, every seven years, God told his people they were to let the land rest. And after the seventh of those seven years, in other words, in the 50th year, they were also to let the land rest, and it was to be a year of jubilee. They were to release all captives and slaves. They were to cancel all debts, and they were to take their land and to restore it back to the original owner. It was a, like a year of a fresh start, a year of jubilee, a year of rejoicing. Jesus said, I have come to release you also from debt. Because we owe God. We're in debt to God. We owe him our obedience. And we have fallen short. We haven't always spoken lovingly to people. We haven't always been kind or helpful to people. We haven't always prayed. We haven't always worshipped. We have fallen short of what God expects. But Jesus has come and paid that debt. Have you ever read all the fine print on your credit card bill? Or all the fine print on all those pages when you're buying a new car? No, you're probably, like me, just, well, just... Trust what it says and move on because I want to get in that car. I just want to pay off that bill and move on. I just want to buy that thing. I just want it. And sometimes we do that with, with God's word too. We look at it and say, you know, I, just, I just want to do this. I want to do that. And we ignore what the word says. And that puts us into debt. Along with that debt, there's also a penalty. And God's penalty is death. But Jesus took that penalty too when he died on the cross. And I don't just mean dying physically, suffering all of that physical pain, but he experienced the wrath, the justice of God for all of our sins, for the sins of the world. Now Jesus comes and he proclaims a new year, a new fresh start, a year of rejoicing because your debt is canceled the penalty has been paid. And he says, I've also released you from darkness. I've restored your sight, he said. I've given sight back to the blind. You know, we talk about living in a fog sometimes. that Can't quite see what's going on. We don't understand or know everything. But even worse than that is a darkness. Now, sometimes children will say, I'm afraid of the dark. And we kind of blow it off as kind of a childish fear. But there is a darkness that we should fear. A darkness that the scriptures say is a separation from God. A darkness of unbelief in God. Because that darkness is death. 
But Jesus says, I have come and I've given recovery of sight to the blind. He lets us see the truth. He lets us see who he is, that we know him better and know the salvation that he gives us. That's what Jesus tells us he will do. Release us from our debt and release us from that darkness. And he goes on, he says, and I'm going to repair you. I'm going to fix your life. Have you ever had uh, the red engine light come on in your car? Or have you ever heard some funny noise from under the hood? Or ever had your car kind of run not so smooth, maybe backfire a little bit, jerk a little bit, not shift so well? What do you do? Oh, I hope that red light turns off. I hope that noise goes away. I hope it finally just starts running smooth. Sometimes we just ignore it and think, oh, there's not a problem. We'll just get past it. But if it doesn't go away, you know you got to get it fixed. Well, Jesus says, I've come to fix your life too. God has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to comfort all who mourn. Now, when we talk about a broken heart, sometimes we think of, of sadness, you know. Um, she broke my heart because she broke up with me. But he's not talking about the emotion side of things. He's talking about the functioning of our heart. Our heart doesn't function right. Our heart is broken. It doesn't love it doesn't always obey. It rebels against God. And just like if our heart wasn't functioning well, we need to get it fixed, or like if our car isn't functioning well, we've got to get it fixed because things just aren't going to go well, the same is true with our spiritual life, our heart. It needs to be fixed because that is the source of all of our problems. The Apostle James made that clear when he said, Each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Jesus highlighted our heart as the source of our problems when he said, The things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. But Jesus said, I have come to, to bind, to fix, to heal that broken heart. And all of the things that are broken then in our life because of it, whether it's our health, our relationships, our attitudes. Jesus says, I've come to, to fix all of that. And he does that with his grace, with his mercy that does not punish, with his grace that loves, that heals, that encourages, that empowers us. And that's why we pray with the psalmist, create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew an unwavering spirit within me. Sustain me with a willing spirit. And Jesus will. Look who's talking, and look what he will do. He will fix your heart and your life. Even more than that, he's going to rebuild you. 
starting with your status. By that I mean this. How do you think God looks at you? What do you think God's view is of you? Oftentimes we view ourselves and say, well, this is how God sees me as a failure. Or we look at somebody else and say, look at how they mess up their life. What a failure. But listen to what God says on your status, how he views you. I will bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. He's telling us he's going to rebuild our life so that we are wearing a crown. He sees us as honored, as majestic, as loved, because his righteousness, his grace is on us. He wants us to experience joy. So he says, like the oil of joy being poured on you instead of that morning, and you have a garment of praise, clothes. Now sometimes, you know, we'll wear clothes that uh, portray a particular uh, team that we like. Uh, nobody's wearing Niner clothes today, huh? We may like them, but they're not playing. So with our clothes, we say something. And God is saying, I've given you garments to wear that say something. A garment of praise. You see, with our character, we are showing that God has given us a garment of righteousness to wear. And so what he is doing is reminding us about what our life is all about now, why he has rebuilt us. In fact, he goes on to say, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. What he's telling us is that we now have a purpose, which is to glorify him. You know, on the other side of this window stand some beautiful redwood trees, right? Nice and tall. They were just started as small trees, and look how beautiful and tall they are now, so majestic. God is saying, I have planted you for a purpose, to stand, to reflect my splendor, my glory, my working in your life. In fact, the verses right before our text from chapter 60, not 61, God said this, Then all your people will be righteous, and they will possess the land forever. They are the shoot I have planted, the work of my hands, the display of my splendor. The least of you will become a thousand, the smallest a mighty nation. I am the Lord, and in its time I will do this swiftly. God has given us a purpose, and he is going to work through us, that we stand for his glory. Look what God has done, and that we multiply. That from a few will become many, like a tree that, that sheds its seeds so that more plants grow. So God uses us to spread his seed so more will know his grace and stand for his splendor. So while we may feel like we're living in a fog sometime, let's do this. Let's take a good look and see what God has been doing in our life. To give us faith, 
to give us forgiveness, to bless us in so many ways. Even in those times of trouble and challenge, to see how God has been there to bless us and give us strength and to go on. Then to recognize we stand for his glory, for his splendor, with a purpose to spread the seed of his word so others may know and grow. Look around. See what God has done. You live in a fog, it's the favor of God. We go on and we live under his promise that says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen.